Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Back in the 80s, Louise and I and our three kids lived in Germany for a year from June of 86 to July of 87, as I recall. And we lived in this region of Germany. It's called the Frankenwald, the forest area north of Nuremberg, about an hour north of Nuremberg and about 15 minutes south of the East German border, a little town called Stadtsteinach. And the next town over was Kulmbach. And in Kulmbach, there was this giant castle. And in Stadtsteinach, in our backyard, I mean, you know, it was a walk through the forest of maybe 10 minutes, but in our backyard, there was an old castle. It was called Nordeck, which was built in 1034 and had been abandoned for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was just a ruin. And it was just in the woods. I mean, there was no, there was a little plaque on it, and that was it. People didn't know about it. There was no road to it. You know, it was, there it was in the woods. It, it overlooked the Steinach River, which was a very, very small river that ran through Steinach. And, you know, it was probably a way station where they were collecting tolls. <laughs> and just down the road, there was another ruined castle deep in the woods. Now, I bring this up because one of the things that one of the, a friend of mine who had been in the German army, actually, and, you know, during the war, he'd been drafted and was working with the Salem organization, this international relief organization where Louise and I were living at their headquarters, saleminternational.org, if you want to learn more about it. Then this friend of mine, his name was Horst von Heyer. He, he died a couple of years ago. He, when he died, he was a really old guy. But when he was drafted into the, the army, he was like 16. He told me, and I, I believe this to be true, but I don't know if it's true. But one of the stories that von Heyer told me was that the castles, the, the way that these castles got built was the local lords, and they weren't even the kings. I mean, some, some of them declared themselves kings, but basically they were the local lords because the larger region had a king, would declare war against each other with a wink and a nod, with the agreement that they would never kill actually the kings or any of the king's family or any of the, the minor lords. Right? The rich people never would get killed in these wars. But they would pit the peasants against each other. And then they would say to the peasants, by the way, you know, you're in a war with those guys down the road and they're going to sneak over in the middle of the night and burn your thatched hut. Help us build this giant castle. And every time they come after us, you know, we'll open the gate and you can all run inside the castle and be safe. And we can also store food inside this castle for a siege or for a war or for, you know, even a, a drought. And out of this kind of medieval perspective, and, and von Heyer said, and he had traveled the world. I mean, he had worked all across Africa, the Middle East. He had he'd worked in Asia. He had worked in South America. One of his assistants was eaten by an alligator in South Africa. And he said, you know, you'll, you'll see basically this replicated all over the world. And it's kind of a rule of war that you don't take out the king. Because if you kill that king, then some other king might kill you if you're the king, if you're the decision maker. So kings never kill kings. And the example that Horst von Heyer told me was that he had read, and I, I recall this, although it's been more than 30 years since, or 20 years anyway, since I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, William Shearer's masterpiece that the Americans knew what Berchtesgarten was, you know, Hitler's eagle's nest. 
Hitler had built this house at the top of this mountain. It had a giant elevator that goes up to it. You can still visit it. And it was kind of his summer retreat, and it was where he went to plot the war and stuff. And he was there, you know, six months out of every year, or several months out of every year. And it was right up on top of this mountain, and a good bomb could have taken it out. And FDR knew this. And Stalin knew this. But neither one of them would ever authorize bombing Berchtesgaden. Because you don't kill the king. You let the, the grunts, the warriors, kill each other. But you have to have the kings around to negotiate the terms of peace or the surrender or whatever, however the war ends. And you don't kill the princes. And that's why during World War II and, and during the Vietnam War and, and during the Iraq War and during the Afghan War, during the first and second Iraq Wars, you know, I'm sure that there was heightened security for people who were, say, Pentagon officials or members of the cabinet. But, you know, they weren't expecting that, like during Vietnam, we were in a proxy war with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was openly supporting the Viet Cong. We were openly supporting the Diem and, and subsequent administrations in South Vietnam. And they never tried to take out, you know, a cabinet member, the Soviets. They never attacked the United States. Or if one of our cabinet members or if the Speaker of the House or the Majority Leader of the Senate was traveling overseas, they didn't try and kill them because they knew that that would alter the, the rules of war in such a way that the rich and powerful would suddenly be in the crosshairs, and the rich and powerful won't put up with that. Now, I think this entire system is bizarre and corrupt and should be, at the very least, questioned and discussed, and it's something that we literally never discuss. And we started having this conversation on Friday, and I noticed that it was completely shut down over the weekend. But there were some people on Friday, in fact, I had a caller into this program on Friday, who said, I think that what Donald Trump did was right. It was a good thing to take out a bad guy. And what's your response? And I started doing this rambling thing about, well, you know, and what I was trying to build up to was basically, you don't kill the princes. You kill the soldiers. And... I'm wondering, and again, I have not a graduate of the War College. I've been through the police academy in Georgia, but I've, I'm, I've never been to a war college. So if any of you have been you know, officers or flag officers in particular, and you understand the, the rules of war, please educate me. What are the cutoff points? Who are the targets that you wouldn't take? If Stalin and Roosevelt chose not to take out Hitler, and Hitler chose not to take out Stalin and Roosevelt, and he could have bombed the White House or the Kremlin. Tojo didn't even, I mean, you know, Tojo just took out Hawaii, Pearl Harbor. What's the limit? What's the cutoff point of who you don't assassinate? And did Donald Trump just change the rules of war for the entire world? Or did Donald Trump just change the rules of war as they relate to any country that finds itself in a position of conflict with the United States? Now, it may be that Russia and China are going to, you know, if they got into a conflict, actually, they, they seem to be becoming, becoming allies. Let's say France and China got into a conflict. It may be that the Chinese Xi would never say, hey, let's take out President Macron, and Macron would never say, oh, we're going we're to take out President Xi. But if either one of them got into an open conflict with the United States, would they go after senior officials in the, in the administration instead of the military? Now, I think Iran has kind of backed away from this a bit in the public statements that they've made in the last 24 hours, where they have said, expect a military response against military targets. Now, which might blow up my argument, because if you could say, okay, Soleimani was actually the head of the military, and therefore he was a military target, 
so this doesn't really apply. But my understanding is that he was also the number three guy in the government. So that would place him at like the Secretary of Defense or the head of the Joint Chiefs, who traditionally have not been targeted. So I'm not making an assertion here. I think the whole, the whole situation, you know, having rules for war. War is, is organized mass murder. We just need to be very clear about it. You know, David Swanson wrote an absolutely brilliant book a couple of years back that if you haven't read it, it's really worth going out and buying right now. It's called War is a Lie. And he deconstructs all this kind of stuff that I'm talking about. So we'll see where that goes. But meanwhile, Donald Trump seems like he is hell-bent for leather to take us to war. And this is very concerning. And there's a bunch of news around this that I want to talk about, including a couple of things that are absolutely not being covered in American media that I think are really, really vital. But the bottom line here, in my opinion, is that Donald Trump has officially kicked off his reelection campaign. He did it just like Nixon did with Vietnam, Reagan did with Grenada, Bush one did with Iraq, and Bush two did with both Afghanistan and Iraq. In every case, they followed Margaret Thatcher's suggestion that if you want to get your popularity up so you can get yourself reelected, and it worked for Maggie Thatcher, she was in the tank after she went after the, the, uh, the coal miners union, the largest union in, in the UK. And uh, then, you know, the, she had her little war in the Falklands and suddenly her popularity was over 70%. Reagan did the same thing with Grenada and all of us, oh, you saved those American students who didn't know that they needed to be saved. Um, Bush won. Uh, you know, they're throwing babies out of incubators. Turns out they weren't. But we've got to support our buddy, the Emir of Kuwait and started the mess in Iraq. And by the way, at that point in time in Iraq, women had rights. They were doctors and lawyers and college professors and teachers and, and news reporters and, you know, right across the board. Now they're wearing, you know, burqas and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And, and Iran's influence is going to make it even worse. But every single one of them said, well, let's have a little war to get reelected. In fact, George W. Bush even bragged to his biographer, Mickey Herskowitz, back in 1999, that if he became president, he was going to have a real war with Iraq that would help him get reelected and accomplish everything he wanted. So Trump is just following this. Trump, you recall in 2012, was tweeting like crazy that Obama was going to do that. But, the, the, you know, Democrats don't do that. Bill Clinton didn't do that. In fact, you could say when he got into the, the whole mess with Kosovo that he had waited way too long. Clinton didn't have a little war to get reelected. Obama didn't have a little war to get reelected, at least to the best of my knowledge. Jimmy Carter is the only president in my lifetime not to have had any war anywhere. Maybe Dwight Eisenhower, too, but I think you could argue that uh, Eisenhower actually was on the down low supporting some wars down south. But here it is, you know, and for Trump, this is a twofer. Not only does it give him the boost that you get from being a wartime president, which he was predicting Obama would do, but from his point of view, it's a way of punishing America for impeaching him. And he loves to punish people. And now Mitch McConnell is saying, well, we're going to pass a resolution in the Senate that says that if Nancy Pelosi doesn't give us the articles of impeachment within 25 days, by the way, it was 19 days ago that they voted on it. If she doesn't give us the articles within 25 calendar days, we don't have to consider them. There won't be a trial. Right. How's that going to work out? So, you know, is this going to work for him? You know, is this going to work for Trump? Some say no, but get ready for the rally around the flag effect. In fact, we're already seeing this in the media, and it's the media that sets us up for these things. You'll recall during the run-up to the Iraq war, Phil Donahue had the top-rated show on MSNBC, the number one show on MSNBC, and he was talking about how we should not fight a war in Iraq. NBC fired him. Jeff Cohen, who was his executive producer at the time for that TV program, has been on this program numerous times talking about that. Bill Maher had a show on ABC, and he also was saying we shouldn't be going to war with Iraq, and he lost his show, too. But here's the difference. You know, Reagan's little war with Grenada, it cost very little money, and there was no hangover. 
George Herbert Walker Bush's little war, his 100-hour war with Iraq, well, that set up an ongoing festering problem because of the sanctions. Half a million children died because they uh, forbade the importation of chlorine into Iraq because it could be used uh, as a poison gas. Well, it's also used to purify water. So for a decade, children in Iraq were drinking water out of the Euphrates through the public water systems that had not been chlorinated. And they were dying of dysentery. Half a million of them. And then, of course, that set up all kinds of problems, which Junior took care of. So, you know, this is a very, and then, and then Junior's wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, we've been, we've been there 17 years. I mean, this is, these are the longest wars in the history of the United States. Great for the military industrial complex. You can bet that Trump and, and uh, you know, all his family members and buddies were all buying defense stocks. Uh, Raytheon's is up 4%. I'll get to that in a second. This Sunday, there were these five major talk shows, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and Fox, basically, arguably MSNBC. They featured seven elected officials who publicly supported and voted for the Iraq war. And not a single person who voted against the Iraq war, not one. The only person who had spoken out against the Iraq war was Chris Van Hollen. He was interviewed on Fox, but he was not a senator at the time, so he couldn't vote on it. So here we have all these guys on the Sunday shows who were all gung-ho for the Iraq war. And then, to make it even more bizarre, on Meet the Press, Jay Johnson, who was the Secretary of Homeland Security in the Obama administration, he says that Trump has the full legal authority to assassinate Soleimani without authorization from Congress. Now, the one thing that NBC did not disclose when he was on this program, and by the way, right after he said this, the Trump campaign retweeted it. Jay Johnson, Obama's Secretary of Homeland Security, says Trump had the total legal authority. Right? But what NBC didn't disclose is that Jay Johnson currently is on the board of directors of Lockheed Martin. He was paid $310,000 last year in cash and stock compensation. And his stock that he owns went up 4.3% on Friday after the stock, Lockheed Martin's stock, even, even while the overall stock market was collapsing. And then, you know, Tim uh, Murtaugh, from the, uh, he's the communications director for the Trump campaign, he says, uh, Dems and the hysterical media, hope this clears that up. And, and then he retweets, uh, DHS Secretary Jay Johnson debunked Democrats' claim that Congress needs to approve Soleimani's strike. Now, Bush and Cheney tried to link Saddam Hussein to al-Qaeda because the authorization to use military force from 2002 says that, or maybe it was 2001, says that the president can make decisions without consulting Congress. He has to tell Congress within a certain number of days, but he doesn't have to consult them in advance, that have to do with anything surrounding 9-11, basically. And so Cheney says, well, you know, we're using that authorization for military force. We can invade Iraq because back in 2001, there was a senior Iraqi intelligence official who met in I think it was Prague, with some guy from Al-Qaeda. Well, that ended up getting debunked. The reality was that Saddam Hussein was actually actively killing Al-Qaeda people because he saw them as terrorists. He opposed Al-Qaeda. He was running a secular government in Iraq. Al-Qaeda wanted a religious government, which, by the way, is what you have now. So then Friday night, Mike Pence, reliable toady, does the same thing. He says, assisted in the clandestine travel to Afghanistan of 10 of the 12 terrorists who carried out the September 11 terrorist attacks in the United States. Right, Suleimani, he's saying. There's actually no evidence of this. The 9-11 Commission report says nothing. Suleimani's name does not appear anywhere in it. And it unequivocally says, quote, there is no evidence Iran was involved in 9-11. Now, yeah, some of the hijackers traveled through Iran, which is what Pence was saying. But that was long before the plot was organized. This was back when they were just guys. Of course, it was Mike Pence who, on the floor of the House of Representatives in 2004, said, and I quote, 
Weapons of mass destruction have been found. By the way, you'll find a great summary of this over in Judd Legum's newsletter at popular.info. And it turns out that Trump was given multiple options. So do you think that Trump's re-election strategy and his anti-impeachment strategy is going to work? Or is this going to backfire on him? It looks so far, particularly given that the Sunday shows all had basically gung-ho for war types of people. Yeah, they were talking about, well, maybe we need to be more careful, and I'm not sure this is a great idea. And then Jay Johnson working for Lockheed Martin saying, oh, yeah, this would be a great idea. Is this going to work? What do you think? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Oh, and Pence got the number of hijackers wrong, too. There were 19, not 12. We'll be right back. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. It just sure seems to me like Donald Trump is really harming American interests by helping consolidate the power of the Iranian regime, this brutal regime that runs Iran, that is allied with Russia and China and just last week was doing military exercises with them. There was an active democracy movement in Iran that was showing up in the streets. The Ayatollahs were so freaked out about it that they killed a bunch of these people and imprisoned thousands more. An active democracy movement growing in Iran. And those people now are going to be viewed as traitors. The regime's power has been strengthened and consolidated by this action that Donald Trump took. And he took it right after the news came out. Now, you know, just keep in mind, this was right after on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of last week. It was revealed by a whistleblower that the $2 billion in loans that Deutsche Bank gave Donald Trump that uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy's son signed off on when he worked at Deutsche Bank, that that $2 billion worth of loans that got Donald Trump out of being totally in the hole, not a single American bank would loan him a penny after a series of bankruptcies, that $2 billion in loans was backstopped by a Russian bank that Putin controls, VTB Bank. That came out. Another story that came out that looked really bad for him that would have just nailed the impeachment, right? He's saying, oh, I, you know, I wasn't, there was no conspiracy to hold, withhold aid from Ukraine as part of a blackmail bribery scheme. He says, yeah, that wasn't bad. That wasn't going on. Well, the emails that Bill Barr had redacted to make it look like there wasn't actually a scheme were leaked from somebody apparently inside the Office of Management and Budget and those leaked emails, that unredacted emails, show A, that Bill Barr was actively involved in a cover-up, and B, that the order had come from Trump himself via the Office of Management and Budget not to release those funds. And then on top of that, Ted Lieu opens a congressional investigation into Trump and his crime family for buying and selling stocks just before he tweets things that will move the stock market. And all of a sudden, the subject sure did change. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? Yeah, this uh, strategy isn't going to work with me because back on Friday, I already contacted my senators and representative and urged them to expand the articles of impeachment to include this act of war against two countries at once without 
any authorization from Congress. Unless the first article of the Constitution has been altered without my knowledge, this is a congressional authority, and it is not shared with the executive. Trump, since this, has claimed that he uh, gave notice to Congress by a tweet, and that that was uh, legal notice, which he wasn't required to give, which translates to, uh, well... It's the law, but I don't have to follow it. Right. So this is clearly an impeachable offense. And I agree. I've, I've also been hearing that someone in the funeral for Soleimani, who, by the way, worked with us against al-Qaeda back 20 years ago yep. and has been working against ISIS. Oh, Soleimani's forces in Iraq, I think it's called the Popular Front, that paramilitary group in Iraq, which is supported by Soleimani, number one, came to the defense of the U.S. Embassy when it was attacked. And number two, they've been attacking al-Qaeda and ISIS in Iraq very, very effectively for years now. Right. Meanwhile, someone at the funeral said there would be an $80 million bounty on Trump's head. If I were Trump, I would avoid congressional Republicans because that's probably a lot more than Putin's paying them. Yeah. Yeah. But you said this is not going to fool you, Mike. Is he going to get 50% popular support for this thing in the United States? Because if so, he gets reelected. 50%, I tend to doubt it over time. Yeah. yeah. As more facts come out. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I just, I think it's going to take more than just more facts. I'm very concerned about this. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Okay, the plot thickens. The killing of Soleimani was presented to Trump as an option by the military, by the Pentagon. And the reason that they slapped it in at the last minute was because they wanted something that was so extreme that the, quote, mid-range options like pinpricks airstrike or something like that would seem reasonable. One of the options was to just do nothing. I mean, after all, the contractor, the American contractor who was killed was in an Iraqi base defended by the Iraqi military that got attacked by, well, nobody's actually even totally certain who attacked them. It looks like it was an Iranian-backed group. But, you know, we could have said, well, you know, that's for Iraq to deal with. I mean, we've had something like 1,700 contractors killed in Iraq killing Soleimani option was one that the Pentagon just slapped in at the last minute to make their pinprick strikes option seem more like a reasonable thing rather than the most extreme option. Because they always present options from basically do nothing to here's the most extreme option that only a crazy man would do in the hopes that the guy will take the middle. Well, Trump said, I'll do all of them, including killing Soleimani. So where does this go? Well, here's where it gets real interesting. Nick Kristof just tweeted, the Iraqi prime minister seems to be suggesting that the U.S. essentially lured Soleimani into a peace mediation and then used that shuttle diplomacy to assassinate him on Iraqi soil. In doing so, Nick Kristof, the New York Times reporter, is retweeting a tweet from Jane Araf, which says, this is stunning. The Iraq prime minister tells parliament U.S. troops should leave. It says Donald Trump called him to ask him. Now, this is the prime minister of Iraq. says Donald Trump called him to ask him to mediate with Iran and then ordered a drone strike on Soleimani. says Soleimani carrying response to Saudi initiative to defuse tension when he was hit. I retweeted this, too. You know, some of these headlines are just amazing. But this was a, uh, from a news source in Pakistan, actually. Senior journalist Haroon al-Rashidi says Qasem Soleimani was carrying a letter about Saudi Arabia, including how to reduce tensions with Saudi Arabia. The letter expressed the wish that Iran and the tensions between Saudi Arabia should be alleviated. You know, keep in mind, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, Iran, China, and Russia had military exercises in the Gulf. Right? They actually had military exercises. And now here's this tweet from, uh, this is an English language news service out of Iraq. And breaking news, Iraq's prime minister, and the picture is of the prime minister of Iraq sitting with 
China's ambassador to Iraq. Iraqi Prime Minister Adil Abdul Al-Mahdi receives China's ambassador to Iraq, Zhang Tao, who's conveying Beijing's readiness to provide military assistance. Now, Iraq's parliament just voted to expel all Americans from Iraq, including American military forces. It was a non-binding resolution, but it was widely supported in their parliament. These are some of the headlines from these Middle Eastern sources. Iraqi Prime Minister Abdul Mahdi said he, was, he has an appointment with Qasem Soleimani the next day. He was carrying a letter for me, an envoy of the Iranian government. That's going to hurt the U.S. at the U.N. to kill an envoy. Soleimani was an envoy, apparently, for Iran in a negotiation between Iran and Saudi Arabia, trying to ratchet down tensions. You'll recall Iran was blamed for blowing up the Saudi oil facilities. Even the tenth of Muram, Ashura processions can't be compared to the funeral of Qasem Soleimani in Tehran. In other words, this, as Iranians flood the streets in Iran's capital in what might be one of the biggest processions in the country's history. Nancy Pelosi, meanwhile, is trying to get a resolution through the House saying, uh, Trump, you can't start a war. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Or at least you can't start a war without the consent of Congress. It might be too late. Trump has kicked off his re-election and anti-impeachment campaign with a war with Iran. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I used to think, you know, it's a new year, it's a new me. Uh, but now it's more like it's a new year, there's new wrinkles. With every passing year, you know, we all look older. Uh, but all that's changed now, thanks to Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's magic in a bottle. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. Simply apply this powerful serum to problem areas, and within, min within minutes, voila, a new, younger you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox. It's all natural. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with Plexiderm for smooth, younger skin in minutes. Younger looking, anyway. And it goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave, it on, leave your under eye bags and wrinkles behind with Plexiderm. Go to Plexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, half off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998 or visit Plexiderm.com today and use the code HARTMAN, the two N's, at checkout. Senator Elizabeth Warren, first of all, she came out and said, wait a minute, what's going on with the timing on this thing? Increasingly, by the way, there's the, you know, Greg Sargent, I believe it is over in the Washington Post. There's a bunch of these here. Steve Bannon, the producer of the Rachel Maddow show, he's saying the reporter brings the problem into sharp focus. Team Trump's official story about one of the president's most dangerous decisions doesn't appear to be true. If the airstrike wasn't needed to prevent an imminent attack, why exactly did the president greenlight such a radical offensive? Trump thought the dangerous new posture would help his weak image. Dean Baker tweeting that Lockheed Martin's stock went up 2% last Thursday, the day before the strike, which means that insiders were already buying defense stocks knowing that the strike was coming on Friday. Insiders like what? Eric Trump? Wilbur Ross? Well, I don't know. I would like to find out. Adam Schiff is talking about this. Oh, oh and Eric Chuning. You've never probably never heard his name. He's the chief of staff at the Pentagon. He resigned today. Why? Are the rats leaving a sinking ship? Or was this planned? I don't know. But anyhow, back to Elizabeth Warren. She said, when the administration doesn't seem to have a coherent answer for taking a step like this, and they provided us with three different excuses up to this point, and they have taken a step that moves us closer to war, a step that puts everyone at risk, a step that puts the military at risk and puts the diplomats in the region at risk. I think people are reasonably asking about the timing and why it is that the administration seems to have all kinds of different answers. And then following up on that, Julian Castro, who dropped out, as you'll recall, last week dropped out of the Democratic presidential primary race, just endorsed Senator Elizabeth Warren. 
He said, she's the one candidate I see who's unafraid to fight like hell and make sure America's promise will be there for everyone. Elizabeth and I share a vision of America where everyone counts, an America where people, not the wealthy or well-connected, are put first. I'm proud to join her in the fight for big structural change. This is getting fascinating. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, fascinating is a word for it, Tom. But as far as the Pentagon goes, I want to make a quick comment about that. Um, I was surprised. I would say shocked when the Pentagon released the statement that Soleimani was killed by the order of the President of the United States. Um, right. That was their first years. words. That would be you know, pursuant to an order from the president or some words to that effect. They, they literally started the sentence with that, with Donald Trump. You know, we never do that. There's this long-standing tradition in the military. If your boss gives you an order and you don't agree with it, but it's lawful, you don't blame your boss. You just execute the order. You never blame the boss. Right. Right? That's, that's, that's like a military code. And we never did that. I mean, it's highly unusual. So that right there indicates there's some trepidation at the highest levels of the Pentagon. Right. right? And that's going to cause some exodus, you know, a brain drain, for lack of a better word. And, you know, I want to also criticize these comments by General Spider Marks. Marks, who's... I'm not familiar with those, Mark, with those comments. Uh, well, General Marks was responding to Democratic Congressman Chris Murphy from Connecticut. He questioned the timing of this attack on Iran. And General Marks said, you know, he made a really pithy little, um, he said, Congressman Murphy needs to just, you know, be quiet and listen. Hmm. All right. And then he went on to say that, you know, and everybody chuckled in the newsroom, you know, and he went on to say that the, the killing of Soleimani was a result of detailed target package with pattern of life. He went on to just really divulge classified information. Now, the hmm. reason why I'm critical of this is because you've got to analyze this critically. If you're sitting in Moscow, you're sitting in Beijing, and you are looking at international law calling this an assassination, what did General Marx just describe? Premeditation. Right. <laughs> he just described right. premeditated assassination of a leader. You know they're sitting there. You know, they're, they're, you know Beijing and Moscow are making an account of all of this. And Americans should be worried. But the, here's the thing. We have an off-ramp here. We mm -hmm. have an off-ramp. I, I don't know. The universe must love us. There is an off-ramp. And it, it comes via the Parliament of Iraq. All right? They want to expel U.S. soldiers, all right, troops from their borders, right? right. Well, everybody's up in a tizzy about that. But, but check this out, Tom. We're sending 3,500 additional soldiers. Trump is sending 3,500 additional soldiers to Iraq. No, 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 Dave. Uh, they're not going to Iraq. They're going to Kuwait. Well, Kuwait, Kuwait. All right. And know, then it's a staging. It's a staging place for Iraq. But they haven't. They have not been introduced into Iraq yet. And there's been no announcement that they're going to be. But all that is is a token. That is a token force. All right. Everything in Iraq right now. If you put more people in Iraq or Kuwait, for that matter, because Iran can definitely reach Kuwait. Yeah. Um, all you're doing is increasing the target pool. All right. Uh, all right. So you want to intimidate um, Tehran, right? Trump, here's what you need to do. You need to get the force level of Iraq equivalent to what it was during the surge when I was there. You need to have about 150,000 U.S. soldiers. Then you will get Tehran's attention. But yeah. below that, they're not sweating it. All you're doing is increasing the target pool. And then if Iraq does expel, uh, you know, through congressional mandate, does expel U.S. soldiers, all right, we can use that to say, look, you know, we support democracy. We support democratic solutions. All right. Mm -hmm. And because you've got to remember, Tom, look, all these places, the borders are porous. We in America are under such tight control. We don't realize how impoverished we're under tight control because of the wealth of our nation. These countries like Iran and, our, and Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, I could go down the list. They are so incredibly, even Pakistan, who's a nuclear-armed country, those borders are so completely porous, right. and they are, they are defined by abject poverty, Tom. These people just move, not unlike herds of cattle. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't mean to be crude, but mm -hmm. they, they're, they're so impoverished. Well, some of, the, some of the people are actually nomads. I mean, you know, they're, they, they're they, nomads. they are pastoralists. They have animals, and they move them as the seasons change and the vegetation changes. Walls aren't going to stop them. Right. Mixed in with those nomads are terrorists, all right, if you will, if you want to use that word. Yeah. Trump's going to use that word, like the Uzbek Islamic movement, or Lashkar-e-Taiba, who attacked Mumbai. 
so brazenly. Look, he can connect all of those to Iran. Why? Because they travel through there. For crying out loud, there's been... <laughs> we've been in Iran for years, and I'm not talking Iraq. Dave's not getting confused here, okay? We have been in Iran for years. They don't even care or know. Here's the deal. To answer your question, Trump, if he has retained some smart people like George Bush did, Trump's going to get by with this and possibly accidentally put us in World War III. Yeah, All right? that's my fear. And... Yeah. God bless Chris Murphy. God bless Bernie Sanders and everybody else raising this. But here, Elizabeth Warren. But here's the problem. You know, if there is some sort of attack and Trump's people can link it, no matter how, you know, speciously to Tehran, well, all those people criticizing him are going to look, you know, they're going to look like they supported weakness instead of strength. You know how right. it goes. Tom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why people like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden voted for the Iraq war in the first place. They didn't want to be attacked as being wimps. And it comes down to if that's what this leads to, then it's going to be very, very difficult because voting against war could be a real challenge for these people. And anyway, Dave, thanks a lot for the call. So, Hale, in uh, Canoga Park, California, you, want, you, you are Iranian and you wanted to speak about Soleimani being a bad guy. Do I have that right? I don't know. Should I ask you or you ask me questions? Because, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm you following know your program for, forever. I'm, I'm following your program forever. For, I, I love you. I love your program. I, su I support your program. But something is bothering me in Iranian because we feel you're not honest about something about Iran. You know, my dad was in jail for three years because he's a journalist. We are a uh, in Iran. Like, publish a book, publish. Yeah, in Iran. Mm -hmm. So my cousins have been killed in the prison by these guys, these Soleimani. These yeah. Soleimani, from your point of view, is a general, major general, Qasem Soleimani. From our point of view, he's a monster. Not he, because his group is a monstrous group. But, you know, let me ask you this question. Less than two months ago, there was a big, huge, in Iran, there was a, people was in Iran, in, in the streets, they were striking against the regime of Iran. Right. So they killed people in the street, and most of them was under 30 of age. Yeah. So there was pretty young. Yes. So they killed 1,500 people in the street, and also they took over 7,000 people in the jail, and they're torturing right now. They're torturing. Do you know who are they? This group, this Qasem Soleimani's group. They're, sure. They're yeah, it's the Quds Force. Yeah. So, I, no, I, I completely no, no, agree with you, Sohail. No, Tom, still, I have a question. No, okay. not my, I didn't finish it. Okay. So I, I was following your program two months ago. During that problems in Iran, during that strikes in Iran, mm -hmm. you didn't even mention once about that people. But Mm. Regarding to this Qasem Soleimani, you're talking about this monster every minute. That's bothering me because people in Iran were killing. Yes. Okay, thank you but for why? putting that on the record, Sohail. I appreciate that. Now, let me ask you a question. Sure. During the time that people were out in the streets in Tehran protesting the Khamenei regime, and the Khamenei regime and, and Soleimani and his buddies and you know all the bad guys there, killed all these people and imprisoned all these people. That was actually reducing the credibility of that regime and increasing, particularly among young people, the probability that there might even be, uh, if not a, a political, you know, a grassroots revolution may be too strong a word, but, you know, certainly blowback. I mean, there was discussion that this might be the end of the Khamenei regime. And the question was, is Rouhani enough of a moderate to make it through and end up being the guy who can bring Iran into a modern era? Or is he going to have to go along with Khamenei, right? So that was the conversation that was going on a month ago in Iran and about Iran. Right now, the conversation that's going on in Iran is those American SOBs killed one of our top government officials, and we will not tolerate it, and we all have to pull together. What's happening in Iran right now, from what I'm seeing, and I'd love to hear your comments on this, is very much like what happened in the United States after 9-11. You know, George Bush was a very unpopular president. He was considered illegitimate, and yet everybody pulled together behind him. 
Is that not happening in Iran now? And and therefore, wasn't this a huge mistake so you on the part care, of Trump? You care about you care about the government of Iran, what they say. You don't care about the people of Iran, what do they say? So my point is, you know, these monsters don't get killed by itself. No, I get that, but they what I'm don't. saying is that, they, that they, Trump they just gave the monsters more old, power. Hundred years old, and they die naturally. So that's a fortune. That's a fortune that a big monster is get, get killed. I don't care how, but these kind of monsters should have been killed everywhere. Not only... Yeah, we're hitting a break here, Sahel. I'm sorry. There's a hard break that I can't stop. But I appreciate the conversation. My only concern is that Trump just united Iran behind Khamenei, and that that's not a good thing for us or for the world. I don't know. Sahel, call again later in the week, and let's continue the conversation. Thank you so much, Tom. Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. You are listening to the program where despair is not an option. Join us. Get out there. Get active. Ali in Seattle. How are you? What's up? Hey, Mr. Tom. I was actually in my car listening to to your radio show, actually. You have a great show. And also, I want to share my opinion. Thank you. In your show. Are you Iranian? Uh, what? Yeah, I am actually okay. Iranian-American living in Washington. Okay. I would uh, love to hear your opinion. What Donald Trump did was basically opening a champagne bottle for Ayatollah. He gives them back the power. People in Iran were so close to change the regime, kick Ayatollahs out. Out of nowhere, Donald Trump came and make a hero from a bad guy. Now everybody's looking at that guy as a hero. He trashed all the fighting that people in Iran did. There was over 1,000 people die in protest against the Ayatollah. It was so close. It was the matter of months to kick Ayatollah out of Iran. What Donald Trump did, basically, you know, trashing all that and, you know, just gifting Ayatollah's back power, basically. And make Russia probably happy because the only two people right now, I guarantee you, behind the scene and behind the media, Ayatollah's like super happy right now. Sure. They got the power back because the whole point for them was to be stay in Iran and continue governing in Iran. Well, it's just like, so you know, George W. Bush before 9-11 had a popularity rating that was below 50 percent. People thought he was an incompetent guy and that he wasn't actually elected, that the Supreme Court gave him the White House. And after 9-11, his popularity shot up to 90 percent. And the same thing has exactly. to be happening to the Ayatollah. Exactly. So, like, right now, my opinion, I'm not a big politics guy, but right now, Russia's happy because he got the power of the Iran less in Iraq. Ayatollah's super happy because they were about, it was, I'm telling you, from the street of the Iran, not mm-hmm. based on the media. Media People were so close to kick Ayatollah out. They were trashing their photo. They were trashing the ideology of Ayatollah. Even in Iraq, on Syria, same thing. They were burning Ayatollah's picture, throwing them to the trash. Hmm. It was so cold. You know, I, I feel like Donald Trump is a great president for just a moment, like angry people who wants to see some resort just for the moment. For the long term, he doesn't benefit nothing, not America None of his policy is going to benefit us in the long term. Well, he's certainly benefiting Russia, China, and Iran. Absolutely. I'm telling you, just like his son in the light, he gives Ayatollah's back power. He makes Russia's happy because everybody's one except U.S. and the poor people of Iran that were getting so close to get their freedom back. You know, Russia's so happy right now. Because they, of course, they don't want power of Iran. You know, they're. I, I can't. I can't believe what Donald Trump did. From the bad guy, now he become a hero. And Ayatollah super happy. You're talking about Soleimani has become a hero now, from being exactly. from yeah, being seen course. as a bad guy. And, and one yeah. more last thing, Tom. Yeah. Iran population is over 80 million people. You know, still 70 million more people are against Ayatollah. Ali, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. 
Oh, this is um, somewhere between interesting and bizarre. It's from the Daily Mail, which is a British newspaper, uh, written by Tim Stickings. The headline, Iranian advisor drops chilling hint of attacks on Trump properties. The, uh, the first couple paragraphs. An advisor to Iranian President Hassan Rouhani last night dropped a chilling hint of an attack on Donald Trump's property empire in revenge for the death of military commander Qasem Soleimani. Hassameddin Ashina shared a link to a Forbes article listing all of Trump's properties in New York, his hotels and resorts across America, and golf courses in the U.S. and Britain. The list included the Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida, where the president was staying when he ordered the hit on Soleimani, as well as the Trump International Hotels in Washington and Las Vegas, and his New York Tower with its Fifth Avenue entrance. Iran has already threatened the White House, and the Rouhani advisor declared yesterday that Tehran's, quote, sole problem is Trump, end quote, rather than the American people, dropping yet another hint of a direct reprisal against Donald Trump himself. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Open bottle, release genie, or release something. I mean, the winds of war. I, it's, uh, it's probably the best way to put it. Pat in Watertown, Connecticut. Hey, Pat, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, you had mentioned a Putin call, maybe advising him to kill this assassinate. Well, we have no idea what happened in the call. It happened last uh, week. Yeah, I know. That's my point. And you said that that would be locked up in this server and nobody has access to it. Right. It needs a code, as well as the, the phone call Ukrainian president. At any point, does any administration after this administration have access to that secret server? Yeah, it's a secure server in the White House that is not connected to the Internet in any way. And the only way you can get into it is with a, a particular password or passcode that is unique to some senior administration officials in the White House. And it's where the transcripts, it's where the transcript had gone of Trump's conversation, uh, you know, with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. It's where the transcripts of his, to the best of our knowledge, the transcripts of his conversations, his phone conversations with Putin have gone and other world leaders. And apparently a lot of other evidence of crimes that Donald Trump has committed is stashed away there. The conversations that he had when he was traveling where, you know, the two hour private meeting he had in Helsinki and the hour or so meeting he had on the sidelines of, you know, one of the big international summits, those will probably never know. He took the notes away from the translators in one case, destroyed the notes in another case, essentially threatened the translator. So it's possible that if we get a Democratic president next time, they could open that vault and take that information out and reveal it to the world. It's also entirely possible that Trump and his minions will simply destroy it if they haven't done so already. They seem to have no problem destroying evidence. Keep in mind, you know, there's that, was it Netflix or Amazon? There's a or CNN or whatever. There's a new movie out about destroying the evidence of the torture. And it's called The Torture Papers, as I recall, or The yep. Torture Report. Yep. Louise and I watched most of it last week. The person who destroyed that hundred hours of tape of American CIA officers and contractors torturing people from Iraq and Afghanistan, that was destroyed by Gina Haspel, who is now the director yeah. of the CIA, who was rewarded for that. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, now that the word is out, hey, you want to get promoted by Donald Trump, destroy evidence that we'll see that happening. So not holding my breath. Lorraine in San Diego watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Lorraine, what's on your mind today? The Congress has a solution in their power to deflect the inevitability of war by having the Senate proceed immediately with impeachment and removal from office of the president. I agree. And Americans need to, from the ground up, the groundswell of people need to write and contact their congressmen, their senators, senators about yeah. about moving forward with this, because in addition to the Work Powers Act, we have this potential. We should not be reactive. We should be proactive, and people need to do this. I completely agree with you, Lorraine. And if you live in a red state, if you have a Republican or two Republicans representing you in the United States Senate, please call them, 202 225 
3121. Write that number down and put it on your refrigerator with a magnet, right? 202-225-3121. Call your Republican senators and tell them Trump has gone over the edge. He needs to be removed from office as quickly as possible to save the world from World War III. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Lorraine. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. And uh, I see that as the only way to do it. Richard in Naples, Florida. Hey, Richard, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Well, hey, Tom, I'm so excited to talk to you. I think you're in the middle of something phenomenal. I, it, what's happening, I think, is that the Senate will not find, will well, not remove do him. the trial. Yeah. They, they'll never get to that because it's going to approach the elections. And it's going to be so mixed in with the elections that, Trump and his cronies, which you've made me aware of now with your discussion of the conspiracy. And it is up to us, Tom, uh, the U.S. people on this, because they will be voting on the impeachment of Trump. Right. It will never have been. But tried. here's the question, Richard. Do you think, and I'll, I'll just ask this generally as well as of you, do you think that Donald Trump's impetuous, impulsive action in Iraq to kill the Soleimani without consulting the Joint Chiefs of Staff, without consulting the Pentagon, without briefing Congress, without doing anything. Do you think that that might be the thing that causes some of these Republican senators to say, holy cow, this guy really needs to go? Well, I hope so. Uh, I, I really do hope so. Yeah, I do too. And you live in Florida. You've got you've got two Republican senators, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio. Please call them both. The number is 202-225-3121 for the offices of both of them. Just say, I'd like to speak to the office of Senator Scott or Senator Rubio and deliver the message. Richard, they need to hear from you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Defending America from the conservative weapons of mass deception. Tom Hartman here right with you. Jerry in Saginaw, Michigan, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Jerry, what's up? I am a little concerned about none of the left-wing progressive liberal programs have talked about the book by Naomi Klein shock doctrine? shock doctrine yeah because that's exactly what Trump is pulling off right now you know inventing or generating a crisis that will allow him to control scare make us anxious and more compliant to any mischief he may be up to right. because he is going to follow up with something that is worse to make us more afraid and I'm a little concerned that I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Well, here's the problem, Jerry. The thesis of shock doctrine, and Naomi Klein was spot on. She came through Portland a few months ago, and I went to her book signing and introduced her, and she was here in the studio with us. Absolutely brilliant writer and, and a brilliant and decent human being. The premise of the book is that, as you said, these guys will either use a, an existing disaster, you know, like a natural disaster, a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, or they will create a disaster, and then they will use that to basically privatize the commons or, you know, some sort of business opportunity, you know, to rob the poor and feed the rich. Trump has done kind of the reverse. What Trump did by killing Soleimani, he has solidified the powerful in Iran. He has solidified the hold that the Ayatollahs have on that country at the same time that the young people in Iran were staging essentially a revolution. You know, 1,500 of them had been killed in the streets, 7,000 of them imprisoned. And, I mean, there was an actual uprising going on in Iran. That uprising is gone now. The Iranian government is stronger. So, and, and in Iraq, you know, to the extent that we were privatizing the oil fields or privatizing private industry or whatever, we're on the verge of being kicked out of Iraq as well. So if Trump is following the shock doctrine, I don't see what Trump is getting out of this. Am well, I missing something here? Secret. He doesn't let you know about it until he strikes. Like I think it's just he's too state. stupid to do it. I but mean, he's clever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Jerry, i got to move along, but thanks for the call. Gwendolyn in Rialto, California. Hey, Gwendolyn, what's up? Yeah, hi. hi. Thank you for taking my call, Tom. But we must not stop taking our eye off of what's happening. We're heading into fascism, and not a people not 
talking about that much. Remember the two principles of Hitler propaganda minister Joseph Cobble followed? A lie told once is a lie. A lie told a thousand times is the truth. Right. Don't play toward people's intellects. Play toward their emotions. Divide, chaos, and conquer. A You're dictator right. is born in the midst of division and chaos. You're absolutely right. And it feeds on both for its survival. You're absolutely right, Gwendolyn. And I'm going to have an article published. I mean, I'm not sure where it'll show up. We'll send it to Common Dreams and Alternate and Raw Story and the usual suspects, Truth Dig. Basically comparing Donald Trump, what Donald Trump is trying to do, to what Viktor Orban did in Hungary. He turned, after 20 years of democracy, Viktor Orban turned Hungary in a nine-year period into an oligarchic autocracy. And Donald Trump's trying to do the same thing here in the United States. I completely agree with you. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag your it, and tell your friends about how to find progressive media. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 